Hello and welcome to this episode of Before Economics, the history of political economy. A popular series of videos on YouTube are titled Primitive Technology, a video showing a young man living in the Australian bush and crafting mud bricks using only wood, fire and stone, has close to 20 million views. The popularity of the videos derives, at least in part, from the romance of the simple life. As one comment reads, I couldn't stop watching, awesome life, he already knows where real happiness is, I'd change my life for that one in a blink. Strong sentiments. The same romance was central to 18th century debates over virtue and commerce, and it is in relation to these debates that some of the most famous thinkers must be located, including David Hume, Adam Smith, and the subject of today's podcast, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Rousseau's so-called second discourse describes the life of savage humans as completely different from life in commercial societies. What made Rousseau's essay so provocative was its narrative of decline, Modern humans were not only inferior to their ancestors physically, but morally too. Who was the man who produced such a startling account of human history? Professor Richard Watmore. Rousseau had a really remarkable life. He is born into quite a prominent uh, Genevan family on his mother's side. His mother dies uh, at his birth. His father's a watchmaker in Geneva, He teaches him the classics, that's the claim, his father, but he's never close to him. And when Rousseau is apprenticed again to be a watchmaker, he doesn't like it and he runs away from Geneva or he was locked out at night. The city gates obviously are locked every night. And he did what lots of Genevan boys did if they were desperate and uh, they needed charity, which was he turned to those people who surrounded Geneva who offered charity and money if you would convert to Catholicism. So as a 16-year-old, when he leaves Geneva, Rousseau becomes a Catholic. It's a, it's a real sign of what a rebel and how independently minded he was to be in the Protestant Rome and to leave it and become a Catholic and go to Savoy and continue with his education there, obviously based in Turin. He was independently minded and his life really doesn't cease to be exciting from that point on. Rousseau's independence of spirit was on clear display in his essay that we have come to call the Second Discourse. It was written for a competition held by the Academy of Dijon, answering the question, what is the origin of the inequality among mankind and is such inequality authorised by the law of nature? Unlike other writers of the period, Rousseau conjectured a time before families, in which man and woman did not live together as couples, but merely procreated, and in which their children left their mothers as soon as they were able. It was a time before arts and commerce, property, and political society. Indeed, even language did not exist. Humans lived a basic, solitary existence. In consequence, if it happened that a human made a discovery, or crafted a tool, then it perished with the inventor. This state of affairs changed when humans began to make tentative groupings based on common interest and family. These early forms of sociability were not stable, but they did allow for the development of rudimentary language, rather similar to the screams and sounds that monkeys use to communicate between themselves. Living within proximity of other humans also permitted an even more important development. It allowed sentiments of attachment to grow and common customs to emerge. This was still a savage state, but Rousseau suggests that it was the peak of human happiness. It did not last. Here is Rousseau's description of the moment of change. So long as men remained content with their rustic huts, 
so long as they were satisfied with clothes made of the skins of animals and sewn together with thorns and fish bones, adorned themselves only with feathers and shells, and continued to paint their bodies different colours, to improve and beautify their bows and arrows, and to make with sharp-edged stones fishing boats or clumsy musical instruments. In a word, so long as they undertook only what a single person could accomplish, and confined themselves to such arts as did not require the joint labour of several, they lived free, healthy, honest, and happy lives, so long as their nature allowed, and as they continued to enjoy the pleasures of mutual and independent intercourse. But from the moment one man began to stand in need of the help of another, from the moment it appeared advantageous to any one man to have enough provisions for two, equality disappeared, property was introduced, work became indispensable, and vast forests became smiling fields, which man had to water with the sweat of his brow, and where slavery and misery were soon seen to germinate and grow up with the crops. Slavery entered human life because government began imperfectly and continued so, with wealth and ambition constantly bending an already weak frame. In fact, sovereign power was first created by the rich to protect their property. In contrast to John Locke, who was prepared to treat government as a natural outgrowth of our rational sociability, Rousseau placed the fears of the rich for their property at the foundation of government. Professor Richard Watmore again. Commerce has developed and property has determined the the force of law in so many societies. Humanity has become more and more miserable. So Rousseau is the philosopher of how awful the contemporary world, the contemporary world, obviously the 18th century world, was and what might be done about it. There's an endless discussion about Rousseau's solution to the problems of the contemporary world, but really in the discourse on, in the second discourse, discourse on the origins of inequality, it's really a, a description of how terrible things are and why. And they're terrible because human beings are egotistical and selfish, but they're not naturally egotistical and selfish. They've become egotistical and selfish because of the circumstances in which they live. They have to search for money. They have to defend property. And they're moving further and further away from their natural goodness. And Rousseau uses this famous distinction between amour propre, which is egoism, and amour de soi, which is or amour de soi-même, which is self-love, which is in accordance with nature. And he thinks that human beings are becoming more and more egotistical with the progress of commercial society, and it's terrible for everybody. Commerce and progress were terrible for everybody because they continued the deformation of the human character from its powerful, independent, and peaceful origin in the savage state. Here is a well-known description from Rousseau. The savage and the civilised man differ so much in the bottom of their hearts and in their inclinations that what constitutes the supreme happiness of one would reduce the other to despair. The former breathes only peace and liberty. He desires only to live and be free from labour. Even the ataraxia of the Stoic falls far short of his profound indifference to every other object. Civilised man, on the other hand, is always moving, sweating, toiling, and racking his brains to find still more laborious occupations. He goes on in drudgery to his last moment, and even seeks death to put himself in a position to live, or renounces life to acquire immortality. He pays his court to men in power, whom he hates, and to the wealthy, whom he despises. He stops at nothing to have the honour of serving them. He is not ashamed to value himself on his own meanness and their protection. And, proud of his slavery, he speaks with disdain of those who have not the honour of sharing it. 
Rousseau's ultimate answer to the essay question was therefore straightforward. Moral or political inequality had its origin in commercial society, and it was unnatural. As Voltaire wrote disparagingly, to read Rousseau was to long to go about on all fours. This was always the great riposte that defenders of commercial society made to those who attacked commerce in the name of an older, nobler form of being a human. Virtue looked unrefined in an age of commerce. And refinement was not mere ornament, but went very deep indeed, into the sentiments and springs of action that governed human behaviour. The refined citizen of a commercial society would not duel to the death with their fellow citizen, nor take up arms in the name of religion. They instead conducted themselves with measure, self-assurance and propriety. We will soon meet the greatest exponent of this defence of commercial society, Adam Smith. This episode of Before Economics was brought to you by the European Society for the History of Economic Thought, written and spoken by me, Dr Ryan Walter, at the University of Queensland. Special thanks to Richard Watmore. The audio engineer was Ni Adepoyebi.